Matthew 6, uh, 7 through 13. And when you pray, do not heap up the empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thankful to Zach, and I'm also thankful for uh, Chris and the entire worship team, as well as all the people that help out with uh, AV. Uh, thank you. You guys serve us so well regularly, and I greatly, greatly appreciate it. One, my family will tell you that uh, I have a pet peeve. And actually, my family will tell you I have many, many pet peeves. Uh, but one of those is that when it comes to someone singing the national anthem, I really don't care for a person trying to be clever, trying to mix it up a little bit and kind of put their own stamp on it. Uh, so the Star Spangled Banner is so familiar. I, I understand the urge to do that, especially when you're on the big stage to kind of make it memorable. But when someone goes down that road, there's something in me that's just saying, don't, 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 don't. And, and my family would tell you, They'll hear me mutter underneath my breath, just sing the song, just sing the song. So when I come to a passage that is as familiar as the Lord's Prayer, where likely many, if not the majority of people, are not just familiar with it, but could recite it, and some of you may have been reciting this for actually decades. So the familiarity with the Lord's Prayer is, is so, so high. I see where there might be a temptation to try to be novel or clever and say something that will kind of put my own stamp on it as I share God's word this morning. But I'm going to remind myself of what I don't like in the national anthem. And I'm going to say, like, don't, don't, because, because the word of Jesus Christ, particularly when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, is so, so powerful that I feel like my assignment today is just to preach and teach it and to encourage you. And my goal at the end is that you will be encouraged and maybe even motivated to pray like you've never prayed before. That's my hope. And when we think about prayer, I really, I really want you to start here. So I'm, I'm going to ask an intentionally kind of invasive question for you to think about this morning, and that is, what keeps you from praying more? I could ask it another way. Why, why don't you pray more? And by that, I'm not trying to stir up all sorts of feelings of guilt. That actually is not the direction I want to go. I just, I, I do want you to take an honest assessment because Jesus has told us to pray. He's actually, in, in God's word, taught a lot about prayer he wants you to pray, and so I think at the outset, it may be worth our time, really useful for you and I to think through what is the main obstacle or what are the main obstacles for me in actually praying. So when it comes to you praying, let's say every day this coming week, what will, what will keep you from doing that? 
when it comes to you praying maybe two or three or four or five or, or seven times this coming week, what will keep you from doing that? What is it? I would imagine it's different for all of us. For some of, for some of us, it may just be at least what we would chalk up, chalk up to a time crunch. We feel a time crunch. We, we have other priorities that seem to crowd this out. And so we just don't, we barely even think about it. Or maybe it's the, we, we just think about it a moment ago. Maybe it is, you feel such condemnation. You feel like, what right do I have to talk to God when I've done this, that, and the other? Or maybe there are these feelings of despair and doubt. Maybe you feel like at this moment, your faith is just not in a very good place. And so that's the main obstacle between you praying more and praying less. Or maybe it's cynicism. You've prayed. You've prayed some. You've prayed a lot. You've prayed again and again. And it really hasn't been answered the way you want. And so now you're about to the point of like, well, what's the use? I already did that. What's the use? Or maybe the obstacle is some sort of relationship problem you have with the Lord. Maybe it's even a fear of rejection. Sometimes we don't ask because we think, I already know what the answer will be. He's going to tell me no. Why bother? And here's what I'd love to see, and actually what I prayed for this week, is I would love to see many, if not all the obstacles removed, so that you might pray better this week than you prayed maybe in the last several weeks. We're, we're looking at the subject of the Lord's Prayer, but the Lord's Prayer isn't like this standalone thing. It's in the midst of a sermon. It's actually the most famous, famous sermon ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. It's the sermon where Jesus kind of... A, it's almost like his manifesto where he just turns the world upside down and says a lot of the way you think life and relationship with God, a lot of the way you think that might work, I'm flipping that upside down. And so that's really been the theme as we've looked at it. And, and particularly in Matthew 6, the first part, he's talking about the things we do to practice our righteousness, to practice our devotion to the Lord. If we say we're a follower of Jesus Christ, if we say we love God, then we will have certain practices. And and so he's talking about, about that. He's talking particularly about prayer. And he zeroes in here. And I find the approach that Jesus takes in talking about prayer, I find it very, very interesting. Because actually when it comes to the way Jesus talks about prayer, he, he says, first of all, how not to pray. And then he teaches us how to pray. That's the way I'd like to approach it this morning. I'd like for us first to think about how not to pray. And then let's give some time, as Jesus does, how to pray. And like when Jesus says, here's how not to pray, that, I don't know that we sufficiently appreciate that. So when Jesus tells us, you're doing it the wrong way, I think that should get our attention. I mean, if, if I give you my opinions on prayer, that's one thing. But when Jesus says, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And if you do it this way, you're actually doing prayer the wrong way. That should get our attention pretty quickly. And actually, if we just kind of let that sit for a while, it actually could make us even nervous of like, well, my goodness. So Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and earth, is telling us there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do this. 
So please tell me, because I don't want to get called out for doing something wrong. And Jesus does. We looked at one of the ways in which we do it all wrong. Last week, we looked at the, the main issue that we can do it all wrong when it comes to our motivation. So if you were with us last week, and we specifically talked about verses 5 and 6 that talked about these people that would pray like the hypocrites did so that they could be seen. That's the motivation, so that they could be seen by others, so that others would think of themselves, think, think of this person who is praying as a, like a really devout person or maybe just a, a pretty religious person. And Jesus says, if you're, if you're doing it for that and so that when other people look at you and go, wow, I'm impressed, you can just know when you go, that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted you to be impressed. Jesus says, you've got your reward. If that's what you were going for, you got it. But just know you've done it all wrong. You've done prayer all wrong if that's your motivation. This is, this is, the, this is the way you want to go about this because you want something greater than being seen by a few people as like a, a pretty religious guy. What you want, what you want is a relationship with your father. So get in a private place, close the door, and speak to your father. And he sees you, and he'll reward you. Don't do this wrong. At no time does Jesus say, you know what you need to do? You just need to quit praying altogether. Jesus never says that. As a matter of fact, even as he's telling us, don't do it wrong, he's actually telling us, don't do it wrong, but when you pray, so keep on praying, keep on doing this, so he speaks to the motivation, but, but in the verses Zach read a moment ago, he also speaks to the method, not just like what our motivation is, but how we actually go about it. And Jesus says, you're doing it wrong in verses 7 and 8 if you're just piling up a bunch of words that don't really mean anything. If you've just got these litany of cliches that you heard other people say, and so you just feel like, oh, I guess that's the thing to say. And you just pile them up one after another. You have some religious jargon. Or maybe you have this formal chant. Lots of religions have some sort of chant. Or something that's meant to like totally clear your mind. And Jesus goes about prayer all differently. He says, no, 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 that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. It, It's not the way to do it when our method is we feel like we've got to meet some sort of minimum requirement. I remember back in the days when I was writing papers for assignments, and I remember, like, the teachers might give some page count or word count. And I remember being a little bit below that, but kind of I've said all that I've got to say. And I apologize to all teachers everywhere for this, but you you just kind of find a way to stretch it out so that you meet the minimum word count. So that you can turn in like it's 500 words and I turn in a 507-word essay. And what Jesus is calling out is saying, do you really think there's a word count? That by the time you get to this level, now I'm ready to listen. You've shown, you've shown you mean business. You got, the, you got the word count. You've piled up enough phrases. You said the magic words. I'm all ears now. I'm ready to listen because you, you got it. You said the right thing enough times. And Jesus is saying, that's not how this works. That's not how this works. 
And he says the reason this doesn't work that way, the, the actual reason, he says, you don't have to pile up empty phrases. Jesus says, because, because your heavenly father already knows your needs before you pray. He already knows what's going on in your life. You say, well, if he already knows, that's a disincentive. And I'd say, actually, it's the opposite. Because you don't want a heavenly father who's just kind of wondering how it's all going to turn out anyway, who's just as in the dark as you are about what the next 10 days hold. You want a heavenly father that knows eternity. You want a heavenly father that knows not just the next 10 days, but the next 10 million years. You want that person to be the one that's listening. You want that person who has all authority to answer their request. So keep praying. Jesus tells us prayer isn't about amount or quantity. The fact is, though, sometimes we do pray a lot. Sometimes Jesus prayed a lot says even in scripture, sometimes he would pray all night. So whatever he's saying, he's not ruling out the possibility that you might actually pray a lot. But what are you trying to accomplish in the prayers? It may be that something has burdened your, your heart, much like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember him? And he prayed all night. Says he prayed regularly, you know, let this cup pass from me. He prayed it again and again. Prayed for his disciples, watch and pray that you wouldn't enter into temptation. He prayed protection for them from the evil one. See, I think there's times where we're going to be so burdened that we are actually going to pray a lot. That probably the word count or the minute count is actually going to ramp up. We're actually going to think about something and it's going to be on our mind regularly. And in that moment, I would say, well, of course you pray. But it's in the context of a conversation, not in the context of some disengaged dad that doesn't want to hear from you anyway. Some disinterested father that you're trying to manipulate or twist his arm into getting you, getting to even give you some attention. That's not, that's not God. He already knows. So you cry out to the Lord. You know, people that matter to me, I'm probably going to be talking to them a good bit. And if I go through a crisis, I'm probably going to be talking to them a good bit about the crisis I'm going through. This ongoing conversation with the Lord. It's important that we don't think of prayer as if it's, and someone, someone brought this to my attention this week, yet prayer is not an intelligence briefing for God. As if some things have happened in the last month that he was unaware of in your life. And just make sure he's aware of it. Your father knows what you need before you even ask. So go, ask, ask. You're not trying to break records. You're not trying to one-up your last effort in prayer. We think we may have to pile up words or we think we have to do it just, just right because we think maybe there's some way I can do it where I can guarantee my access to God, that I can guarantee my access, that, that he, will, he will hear me. But this passage reminds us we don't. And the reason, think about this, the reason why we don't have to do this thing to guarantee our access with God is because Jesus has already done that for his followers. Jesus has already done that special thing to guarantee access of, of people like you and I. Jesus has already gone to the cross to reconcile the relationship of us with God. We were once enemies, now we're friends. Jesus has died and, and was buried and rose again and even ascended to the right hand. And it says, you know what he's doing at the right hand? He is, he's making intercession for us. He's praying for us. 
He's already done the work for that. So there's no special amount of work that I'm going to do that maybe if I do this amount, then I can guarantee my access to God. No, no, no. Jesus has already done this. So let's go and pray. He's good. He is good. So you don't have to use a lot of words to influence God. And he is God. So he already knows what you need. Let's tear away any sort of formality or ritual that we think might get us to the Father. Jesus says, here's how not to do it. Here's how not to pray. Before we even look at how to pray, I just, I have to take a moment and think, I am amazed at how simplified Jesus makes this. How uncomplicated it is. How I I am so, I have such a tendency to overcomplicate what Jesus just incredibly simplified. He only gave us a couple things and says, yeah, don't do it that way. And then he begins to invite us to pray. I think this is the time of the year a lot of where if you're growing like vegetables in a garden, this is the time of year where you've cleared out everything that grew up in that. You clear the soil, you prepare the soil so that you can plant things in it and they might grow. That is exactly what I think the Lord has just done. Let me just clear the soil. Your motivation shouldn't be to be seen of others. Your method isn't like piling on to get a word count. Now you're ready to hear. Let's listen to how Jesus tells us to pray. How we should pray. It actually starts with a couple of initial reminders that I think can be useful to us. And I I want to walk through those reminders and then just go briefly, phrase by phrase. So one reminder that I would give you as you listen to Jesus who said, pray like this, one, one reminder I would give us is this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is a framework. It's a framework. It's meant to be a framework. I know this because Jesus says, pray like this. And then he begins to spell out some of those requests that we might make. It's a framework. It's helpful to have these at times. So if I decided today I want to start eating healthy, I'm going to need some sort of framework by which I can make decisions as to actually what, what does it mean to eat healthy. It'll be helpful if I have a plan, a nutritionist, some dietitian that says, this is what eating healthy looks like. Or if I decide I want to get fit, it'll be helpful if someone says, here's a framework, here's the kinds of exercises, the kinds of things you might want to give your attention to. If I want to pursue a a hobby or learning to play an instrument, it'll be helpful to have some sort of framework to work out the the basics, the theory of doing this. And and this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's given us a framework. So so think about this. When when do you where, where where do you begin if you realize this deep need you have and this amazing opportunity you have to communicate and converse with God? It's like the minute that dawns on you. Deep need, amazing opportunity to communicate with God. The minute that dawns on you, where do you start? Where do you begin? What, what should you do? Are there, are there any things you should specifically ask for? Are there things that should definitely be on the, you better not ask for that? Oh, is there anything that ought to be a priority that if you only have a certain amount of time and you can't pray for everything in the known universe, you're going to at least pray for it? Is there any sort of priority? And, and as you think about it, is there any like, guidance on even how to address this almighty God, 
this almighty being of the universe that you have an impulse to talk to. You have a deep need to talk to. You have an opportunity to talk to. This is where I think it's so, so helpful to remember this is a framework. And we're, we're going to think about that. Is like the one way one person wrote, and I think it was helpfully, is the Lord's Prayer can be like handrails for us. You, you may not even use them all the time. But there's times where you need balance, and you, there's times where you need stability, and there's times where you even just mindlessly will put your hand on the handrail. And the Lord's Prayer can be that for us as we, as, we, as we try to pray. It gives us some sort of framework, which isn't to say any, like there's anything wrong with actually praying it just as it is, reciting it just as it is, praying it word for word. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition where that was done. Maybe, maybe you still find it very, very meaningful to do that. As a matter of fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 11 almost recites the same prayer, but he doesn't in that place say, pray like this. He just says, pray this. So I think there's, I think there's every reason in the world why you might pray it verbatim. But in Matthew, he says, pray like this. I think it's a helpful, helpful framework. Whatever it is, it's never meant to be a mindless chant. So we've got handrails. We've got a framework. But I think another reminder that's important is that I think we always should remember we're talking to our perfect Father. We're talking to our perfect Father. So again, chalk this up again to this is not meant to make things more complicated, but actually to simplify many things. You're talking to your Father. There's an intimacy in that we can say He's our Father. We boldly approach His throne. There's an intimacy, that, and, and I'd say some may struggle with the fact, well, Curtis, if you knew my earthly father, and if you knew the fathers that have been in my life, you would know why it's so hard to think of God as my heavenly father, and I do understand that. And, and certainly the years have given me sympathy toward how difficult that can be. But I will say, even if you look at your earthly father and go, yeah, I actually have all sorts of negative feelings come up when, when I think of that, I think those negative feelings are a reminder of a perfect heavenly father. You know that's not right. You know it's not right for an earthly father to abuse. You know it is right for him to protect and provide and love and nourish and cherish. You know that's right because I think God wired that in us that we would know that is what a father's care should be like. And while every human's going to fail in that, there's a perfect heavenly father. So pray to him. He's not a reluctant listener. Pray to your father. And it's not just a word of intimacy, but it's also pray to your father, you know, the one who's in heaven, the one who's sovereign over it all. So I, I love this. Even in the beginning of the prayer, Jesus says, remember, you're praying to your father. And your father, you have all access because you're one of his family members. But also, just remember, he controls the universe. He's in heaven. He's sovereign. He's authoritative. Yeah, pray. Pray to him. And then he begins to walk us kind of request by request of things we could pray for. Each one of these requests, I've, I've definitely heard sermon series where each one of these requests was a whole sermon in and of itself. I think those are beneficial. I think sometimes you miss something of the overview of it all, of kind of how, how it was all put together. So just, I just want to walk through these requests, right? Probably no new information here. But the first three requests are, 
Like it, it surprises us because often my first thought in prayer is myself. And when Jesus says, this is the way I want you to pray, he turns our attention to God. It, it's all about his name, his kingdom, and his will. Right out of the gate. It focuses our attention on him, his name to be hallowed. Hallowed is a, a word probably don't use regularly, but it, it means that we would just feel the weight, feel the weight of it all, that we would, we would set it apart. We would recognize it as central and important. No mistake that this one's first. And, and someone's name, it isn't just like a, a simple identifier. It really does identify who they are, especially when it comes to God. So here's the request. Lord, please make your real identity your name known so that we and others will recognize and honor you as you really are because we're living in a world that does not realize who God is. Often when they use his name, they're taking it in vain. They're using it in a, in a, in a way that's empty. So Lord, we want your name to be set apart. We want the world to recognize who you are and feel the weight of that. So again, this is a handrail. We might be praying and I might be thinking of this complicated situation with a, a friend that I care about deeply or a family member and I go, I just don't know even how to pray. But then I remember this handrail and I think, okay, well, I could pray in this situation for this family member. I could pray that in this situation that seems like very, very difficult, that God's name would be set apart, that God would be central in this and there I am using this prayer. I'm grabbing onto the handrail, handrail and I'm, I'm listening and saying, okay, Jesus told me to pray that even in situations like this, his name would be hallowed, that our Father's name would be hallowed. And God isn't re reluctant in the slightest to answer this prayer. He's eager to do it, to set his name exactly where it should be in the universe. We pray for his kingdom to come. As, I, as you pray that, you, I would imagine the first followers of Jesus heard the word kingdom, and they, when they were living in an occupied area, the, Roman, the Romans had an empire. I guess Herod was a, kind of a, a puppet king. And they would have to look at all that and go, that's a real mess. When I think of kingdom, words like rule and government and justice and order and control and power and people and citizens and well-being and laws, all that comes to mind. And I think this world is just an absolute mess. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom, Jesus, bring in this kingdom. Bring in the kingdom of God. This also, as I pray, it certainly keeps me from investing too much hope in a person, a politician, a political party, a certain ideology, thinking if I, if I put my weight on that, then that'll deliver. That'll actually bring in all sorts of flourishing and, and everything. If I, if I think that person, that human being is going to bring in the kingdom, I'm, I'm putting, pinning my hopes on the wrong person. This is a matter of prayer. And I go to the Lord and I say, your kingdom comes. Lord, that's what we want. When Jesus came the first time, there's one sense in which we'd say is, I mean, this is what Jesus said, the kingdom has arrived, but we're, we're praying for it not just to arrive in a, in a taste, but in fullness. We pray, come back, Lord Jesus. Come back to this world. We're asking our Father, who's an eager listener, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
when I think about God's will, I often think my prayer sounds a little bit more like, Lord, let me know your will. Preferably the next 10 or 15 years so that I can make my plans accordingly. And yet that's not the prayer, is it? The prayer is, Lord, your will be done. And frankly, I've had to find this handrail when, I, when situations, I, I don't see much good coming out. Or I, I feel like I've been asked to give advice or give maybe some wisdom, and I think I just really don't know the best path. What I do know is that we can pray together that God's will would be done. We can pray that. We can pray that his will would be done. And, and then there's this kind of break that reminds us yeah, his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're, we're reminded, oh yeah, that's right. Because in heaven, his will is always done. In heaven, he rules completely. In heaven, his name is always hallowed by the angels. Yeah, Lord, this is what we want. You know how it is at heaven? We look forward to that day when it is fully like that on earth. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We're asking God to cause it to even break through right now. Those are the first three requests. They point our attention up to God. They kind of widen our scope, like kingdom's a big word. God's will is a big subject. God's name is an important concept all throughout Scripture because it represents who he is as a person. But I love it. It, it actually kind of takes us from lifting our eyes up, but actually the next request bring them back down to earth, kind of in the nitty-gritty of where we live because we live in a pretty tough world. We live in a, in a world where things are certainly not on earth as they are in heaven. And so you, you, you hear that, like come out in the request. So Jesus is not just interested in us, like only thinking about God's kingdom and somewhere off in the future or some, somewhere out in outer space. He actually pulls our attention back to exactly here and now. And he, he adds this simple request after it. Yeah, and and pray like this. Pray that God would give you your daily bread. So so this is what what Jesus knows. We live in a world of need. We lack. I mean, we're reminded of of even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament where the people lacked for resources, and so they had to have God provide manna from heaven. Remember that in the, the book of Numbers? It's like that prayer gets brought up again, but... Give us our daily bread. I have needs. Others have real needs. So, Lord, settle my heart on the fact that you will provide. Make me content in that. Grab that handrail and say, what do you need the Lord to provide for you? Your, your daily bread. What is it that you're going to need physically? Absolutely. But also, as I think of the handrail, I think, yeah, mentally you're going to need some things. Emotionally, you're going to need some things. And, and I notice the, the pronouns. It's not like, give me my daily bread, but I am, I'm pushed in this prayer to think about you. So I'm going to pray to the Lord, and you know, the, the door is closed, and I'm praying. But I'm also in that time of prayer. I'm, I'm, I, I'm led to think about you and say, yeah, there, there are others who are hungry. There are others who have need. There are people that have jobs that, that, that are tough. They need some sort of resources. There are people that actually don't have jobs. Give them their daily bread. This is a framework for praying. We approach our Father interestingly. We don't approach our Father flexing about how we don't need Him at all. But we approach Him saying, we need you. We need you for our next meal. 
provide for us. The next request is recognizing not just we live in a world where we need food, we live in a world where we need forgiveness. So the prayer is a pretty bold one. Forgive, forgive us. Forgive us of our debts, or some translations say our trespasses. The idea is like morally we have accumulated debt before God. We've taken many more debts, debits, and we, we have no credits in this area, none that are meaningful. And so we pray, forgive us. Well, at one point, that's a real convicting prayer because to pray, forgive us of our trespasses, forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our debts, means we actually acknowledge the fact that we are sinners, and maybe we need to hear that. I feel like we live in a, in a world where the message, constant message, we're told is you can just be who you are, you're perfect just the way you are. You don't need to change anything about you. But I think that doesn't actually work because what if you're a jerk? I'd highly recommend you changing that. And everybody around you would recommend you changing that. But, but this actually leads us into, I don't come to the Lord saying, I'm pretty perfect as I am. I come saying, I, I'm a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness. And what an audacious thing. It's like I'm the one who just took all these debits out of this account. And what a bold thing to go, Lord, could you forgive that? Could you clear that record? That that is a bold request, and we would be timid in making it if it were not for Jesus saying, this is the way you pray. Pray like this. You go to your Father, and you ask Him to forgive you. And just, just so we know this isn't some sort of cheap thing that we would... We would say with our mouth, but not really feel in our heart. There's a, there's kind of, this is a revealing request because Jesus adds something. It's like he adds a writer on this one. So you've got, forgive us as we forgive others. And even later, right after the Lord's Prayer, it says, and if you don't forgive, you have no reason to expect your Heavenly Father will forgive you. I, I, I struggled with, like, what is that saying? And I found that a, a pastor, theologian, helped me on this, John Stott. He says this, we never pray because of our good works. This certainly, when Jesus says we, we must pray to asking for forgiveness and we must forgive others, this certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others somehow earns us the right to be forgiven. But it's rather that God forgives only the penitent. And that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. One thing that even just clarifies, like, I'm getting the whole thing, like, I'm a debtor, only praying to God because he told me I could. That is really revealed that I really get that when I realize others might have sinned against me and I forgive them. Stock goes on to say this, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God. See, I have blind spots here. I want to make my offense against God this big and your offense against me this big. But once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries or the mistakes which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. But if, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offense of of others, yeah, it proves we've minimized our own. So unforgiving Christians, see, they're not really grasping the cost of the cross or the privilege of prayer. Forgive us. That's our framework. It's one way we pray. 
not only do we need food and forgiveness, but we also, this Lord's Prayer ends, the last request of this prayer reminds us we're in a world where we are threatened and we need protection and guidance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I was thinking about this in light of the Lord's Prayer, or in light of the Sermon on the Mount, because already in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has said there's going to be insults and persecutions. There's going to be a need for peacemakers. There's going to be causes for mourning. You're actually going to have enemies. There are going to be people that are unjust. Jesus has already said that. So, of course, in this world, he says, you ought to be praying like this. Let us not be led into temptation. Because we're walking through this world that's almost like a minefield. Lord, help us not to step on that mine and just blow our lives up. Deliver us, rescue us from the evil one. It's interesting, this prayer starts as like a, a recognition of our Father, and it ends with a pretty raw cry for help. Like, Lord, help. Deliver me. Lead me. Because there are temptations and there are trials and there are testing. The prayer that I memorized at a very young age actually ended with kind of this doxology, this praise. It says, for thine or for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So there are ancient manuscripts. The oldest manuscripts don't have that, that doxology in it, but lots of older manuscripts do. I can understand why this would be there because I, I think after you have considered God's name and his kingdom and his will, after you have brought yourself to your own like need of food and your need of forgiveness and your need of guidance and protection, it seems like immediately the last place I want to go is to direct my attention right there at the very end to say, yours, yours, Lord. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. That's what I need. And my heart's led to praise God. So we've, we've spent some time, just even a short amount of time, walking through this prayer. So kind of bringing you back full circle to the question I asked at the beginning. What's keeping you from praying? What's keeping you from praying more than you do? What's the obstacle? In light of everything that you've just heard, with Jesus telling you, I want you to pray like this. Is there something in your heart? Is there a plan that you could make to talk to your father? Is there some way that you could use this as a framework so that even your prayers this afternoon or tomorrow might look different because you've listened to Jesus, exactly how he's told you to pray? I'm going to give us just some time to think about that. In a moment, we're going to sing a song really to the Lord, reminding us of the privilege we have in prayer. But for now, can we... I want you to bow your head and we don't have too many places in our world where we're just quiet. But I'd love for you to use this time to think through, okay, what are the obstacles and what do I need to plan right now so that I use this prayer as some handrails to guide me into praying better and more?